Welcome to Unfederated, a podcast for freelancers hosted by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but have found a way to make a living doing what they love. Hey, bro. How are you? Hey, doing well. How about you? Pretty good. I'm excited to uh, answer the question that we got this time about um, our early mistakes. Mm, yeah. So like what, uh, you know, I think we in our last episode talked a little bit about pivoting in a different context, but um, are there things that when you first started out, you did or thought that um, you had to scrap because they weren't working out? Because I think that's a big part of being successful in anything, probably, is being able to just totally abandon ship on something when it's not working. Yeah. So I think in the research I did before going on my own and the different folks I talked to, I think one of the biggest messages I got was you've got to be prepared to be able to change, like to pivot, you know, that that's absolutely coming. And so many people talked about that. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, I don't think I'm going to have to do that. And I was wrong. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Hubris did not win out in this one. Yeah, not at all. And I didn't understand what folks meant by that. And I guess I was fortunate to get, you know, at least one of those behind me early on. But uh, when I had the idea of going solo and doing, you know, essentially uh, digital marketing, um, my wife is realtor here in town and she owns an agency and I was providing her with some digital marketing services, her and her partners at the agency just had been for a year or two. I mean, you know, like for a long time, just not for paid, but just cause right. you know, she's married to someone that knows how to do digital marketing. And so I was like, Oh, this is interesting. What if I could essentially bundle my skill set into you know, these little short campaigns for realtors and, um, sell them at scale, Okay, you know, like where anyone in the country could use them. And since, you know, them being short is not ideal, but, uh, being able to scale them throughout the country, was interesting and there's tons and tons of realtors. So, you know, it was a, an idea I put a lot of thought behind and, and felt really good about and even presented it to a few different groups of realtors and essentially they're all like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. And then as I got rolling, it it was not a good idea at all. What made it a bad idea? Just didn't get traction or? Well, so this is going to sound a little bit snotty, but what I, I learned probably deep down was that, um, my wife spent a fair amount of money advertising her listings. Okay. And I just assumed that everyone did that. Oh. And I, I think what I found out in a, in a large respect is that most agents would put it on the MLS and uh, which gets automatically ported in most communities to Zillow and Trulia. And like they were doing quote unquote digital marketing. Like that's, that was checking the box for them was just putting oh. the listing on the MLS and they might post about it on Facebook or something, you know, okay. but yeah, Um, it wasn't a paid, you know, Facebook placement and they certainly weren't putting, I mean, even like at a $200 per listing kind of price point, Hmm. like that was $200. They just rather kept than, than put towards, you know, um, increasing the service of their listing or whatever. So people aren't, uh, doing that, uh, pay to list a home in the newspaper thing anymore then. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, a few of the agents were doing still like traditional advertising and like kind of the, like whatever the magazines are that you get in the, the foyer of the grocery store, you know, <laughs> uh, like that kind of stuff. Um, and some of that came with digital or they would pay a little extra and they would get digital services that were just, uh, totally obscure with no accountability as to whether they were effective or not, but it sounded great. Um, but, but most of them just didn't, I mean, they would spend money to advertise their face and their name, Yeah. but, but they weren't really interested in spending very much money advertising their listing, which, you know, again, as a consumer of, you know, working with real, you know, buying homes and having realtors have, have, uh, representing me in the past, like it, it was very eye opening from that perspective. Cause yeah. ultimately like I'm employing them to help sell my house. And I would like to think that they're doing some work, some aspect of that. <laughs> um, but then on the other end, just very quickly realized like, I'm going to have to convince them of the value of this. Like this isn't an easy sell. It's not like, Oh, finally someone is offering, you know, digital marketing campaigns and week long increments instead of month long increments. And so that, you know, solves this problem as an agent, you know, kind of thing. I was still having to convince them of the, the virtues of advertising at all their listings and versus just plugging in MLS or maybe listing them in print somehow. So anyways, all, that's a lot of detail to say that like, you know, as I was going down that path, um, I had an opportunity just very organically to start uh, kind of subcontracting with an agency um, that a friend of a friend worked at. And so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do this for a while while I get this other thing off the ground, <laughs> the, the realtor thing off the ground. And at some point I just, you know, the day came where I was looking and saying, well, here's how much money I'm making on this thing. And here's how much money I'm making on this thing. I should do more of, of the one that is making the money. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that was when I initially thought, okay, well let's just scrap the realtor thing. Um, and let's just see what it looks like to go more whole hog into, um, <laughs> into what I'm more familiar with quite honestly. And that's just working directly with clients. And so, Um, yeah, I did that and, and things took off in a very, uh, real and real way in a way that I'm very thankful for. Yeah, that's essential. I mean, your story is very different than I've run across some people who are trying to be, um, successful on their own as lawyers, but they've been kind of beating the same drum since the first time I saw them and it's not working yet. Um, and it's been a couple of years and they're getting a little bit, um, more haggard looking every time I see them because, you know, they didn't, they didn't let go of that first idea, unfortunately. So I like your story. It's a good success story for that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting. And this is something you and I've talked about and we'll get your thoughts on, but there seems to be kind of this natural progression of the, of the, of the career arc of a freelancer. Yeah. And you, you start in the situation where you are just doing work to perfect your craft. Right. And, and right. oftentimes that is even work for free. You know, if you're a photographer, for example, like you're just taking photos to get the opportunity to build up a, a resume of work or a portfolio of work or a skill set. you know, get, get better. And then you've gotten enough work that at some point in time, you're, you, 
you know, the scales tilt a bit into where you're worthy to be paid for the work you're doing, you know? And then, so then you're in the situation where you're like, cool, I'm getting paid. I want to take as much as work as possible so I can make enough money to make this a full-time opportunity. So you, you do that. And then that, that third phase is like, okay, my, I'm full of work and, um, that's great. And I'm, I'm making a living doing this. But like, when I look at the body of my work, some of it is clearly either more profitable or more enjoyable than others. Right. And so you, you go through the season where you're like, okay, I now I would like to shift a bit and get less of the crappy work and more of the better work. And, and actually I think, and I, I think I alluded to this last week, but that shift I think is one of the most challenging like, you know, parts, but you kind of deal with that and you're trying to, um, refine or filter out your current clients, yeah. you know, and, and then you get to a point where you're like, okay, now I have a client base that pays me well and is doing work I'm proud of. And now I've got like a sustainable business that I feel good about projecting into the future. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's and, the goal. I don't know that anybody ever actually feels like they're in that destination point, but that is. The, yeah, for sure. That fourth phase is kind of like elusive. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you're, you, you know, you're, you're seeing that like there's a possibility, right? That there's yeah. like light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. uh, maybe. And, and so, I mean, to your point of the haggard, uh, haggard folks, you know, I think that first transition of, of saying like, okay, I'm getting paid for this now. And, you know, I guess in a perfect world, hopefully most people are able to take advantage of as much of the season where you're learning and not getting paid for work Yeah. on either by working for someone else like in a traditional environment, or maybe you're doing it like while you're in college or, you know, in a season of life where there's a lot less pressure on you. So you can kind of afford to make that happen. But then when you start getting paid for it, that's kind of when you start the idea of like leaving your, your current job or, or making a career out of it becomes more feasible, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I think not the ability to, not clearly define who it is you want to work for or the services you're providing for those people. You can really get stuck in that first or second phase where you're, you're really just churning and and not feeling like you're getting a lot of ground. And, um, and I was, I was fortunate to have gotten the advice on the front end of when I was doing the realtor thing that there was an easy thing for me to cut bait and look at something else that's yeah the cut bait thing that's the right phrase for this because it is tricky you've you've put i mean if you're too married to your idea of what your step four will look like what your ideal client base uh, will look like and you don't even have any paid work yet you know it's going to be a lot harder you have to go through the whole journey and the journey inevitably every single person i know um who's done this has done and tried something and put money and time into something, uh, sometimes quite substantially, that didn't work out. And they recognized that and just had to abandon it, you know, not even really repurpose it a lot of times. So mm-hmm. don't fear that. <laughs> yeah, and that's a great point, too, as far as the financial aspect of it, because there's a challenge to this that you want to, and I'll use my example again of, of the realtor thing, you want to be able to test that notion having spent as little money as possible. Like you can always go back and spend more money on making it better, 
but you know, I, I didn't need to spend tens of thousands of dollars building this fancy pants website that allows all of this to be automated when I haven't even proven the concept exists, you know, yeah. that the need exists yet. Right. And, and so there's to some degree, I've, I've met with a lot of freelancers that are like, I have this idea and the idea is so big and requires so much investment that like they're kind of stuck. And I'm like, Oh, like that's either a terrible idea because it's going to cost so much money, right? you know, um, or it's a terrible idea because you're, you're making this bigger than it and more complicated than it needs to be, you know, yeah. like whatever the, um, in the tech circles, there's a, uh, an MVP, a minimal viable product, you know, and, and the really is launching a freelance business from my experience, like yes. figuring out what that minimum, that MVP is, is a huge challenge, but opportunity to, to not get so invested in something that you can't um, let it go. That translates to my industry. Exactly. And I, I do find the opposite is true of some people where they're reluctant to spend any money um, whatsoever. And, and that's problematic in its own way. Uh, but it's much more rare than somebody who's just like, I'm going to redesign. I mean, for instance, a lot of people will say, I want to do a law firm and they rent out office space with a three year lease and hire three or four people, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like that. All right. Maybe get clients first. And, you know, and their argument is right, which is, yeah, like, but you have to have the stuff together to get clients. But for me, scaling and keeping the way in which you scale very closely tied to how your business is actually progressing is essential. That way you don't overshoot it and spend a bunch of money where you shouldn't have. Um, if that makes sense, I don't know. I, yeah, I think that's a, uh, I mean, uh, I feel like that's an art form. Do you, yeah. I, mean, I think there's, there's a real challenge to being able to be one step ahead, but not more than one step ahead. Right. You know? Yeah. You're going to have like, I've taken so many one steps ahead or 10 steps ahead and then, you know, you have to backtrack and that that's okay. So I guess that's what you need to do to start to learn. And I try to do that with my clients cause I have all these small businesses and startups and I try to, you know, and just because a lot of them frankly go under <laughs> and so they don't, if they're successful in two years, they're going to need like 30 different legal products. But, um, if you give them all of those 30 and you charge them for 30 starting out, I mean, the odds that they're going to actually have lived to the point where they need those are rather small. So just being able to anticipate exactly when they're going to need something and not provide it too soon. So they're never too far under water, um, on something is a real mm -hmm. art form. Um, so I do that for them and then I try to do it for me, but I did, I mean, I had to re recalibrate my approach to things several times as well. And I still yeah. am. I was, I was about to ask, cause you, I mean, you passed the bar, you got the job at the big law firm, but yeah. you've gone through a couple iterations, you know, as you've gone solo. Yeah. And, and one thing I've thought about in, uh, in past shows, we, we talk about you as, as a freelancer, as an independent, but you also make reference to the, yeah. the law firm at which you're a partner at. And that could perhaps be confusing, but like walk us through a little bit of that. Yeah, if you would. sure. So that's one way in which I kind of recalibrated was I left the law firm, um, the biggest one, uh, in August, almost two years ago. 
and I started LegalBeta.com, <laughs> which I still have. It's on my mind because my Google domain renewed this week and my credit card had expired. So <laughs> I had to really nice. go in there. I renewed it because, you know, you never know. Um, so it was a beta legal group, like B as in boy, E-T-A. Um, and um, that was just me. It was just in my uh, house. But uh, it, it was successful. Um, but I found that... I was targeting, you know, I was aiming for startup clients with the concept, with the name, with the pricing structure. Um, that field is very uh, well populated, especially in Denver. Every big firm here in medium-sized firm has like an entrepreneurial law um, segment or practice group. And they do a bunch of pro bono work, hoping that they'll get the next Facebook um, and then there's a whole, whole bunch of firms in Boulder who, you know, they focus on that almost exclusively. So it's hard to be an individual and do it as effectively and efficiently <laughs> as these firms that do the same thing over and over and over again and have, you know, staffs of like 100. So it's just too, it was, there was a lot of competition in that space. Um, and then at the same time, I was finding that my marketability towards larger clients was less because it was just me. And, um, you know, I had I had intentionally like branded myself as a more like young tech savvy um, law firm. Um, so I had this great opportunity a, a couple months in um to join a firm full of people who were basically doing exactly uh, what I was doing, but we all um, work under the same firm name and rent offices in the same space um, and collaborate on similar, you know, on clients, not every client, but sometimes we collaborate on clients and we're, we're there for each other to, you know, help with the feast and famine as well. Um, and we share some expenses like bookkeeping and stuff. So for me, that was, um, a really great opportunity, uh, and it was difficult a little bit to agree to because I had just sunk a ton of time and heart and uh, money into creating this uh, legal beta beta legal group dot com thing. Um, but it's been great for me, so I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. So your your current arrangement now is part of me wants to describe it as almost like a co-working space for a, a select group of attorneys. And I'm, I'm sure that's not doing it. It's full justice, but you get a lot of the benefits that you might from, yeah, you know, shared office space, but, but in a way that's very segmented to, to your industry. Totally. I mean, anytime, anytime you, you have to give up control anytime you're working with other people. Um, mm -hmm. And this is about the least amount that of control that you could possibly give up and still be you know, working with other people under the same firm name. So, you know, like I still get to practice what I want to practice the way I practice it with the clients that, you know, I prefer to represent. Um, but for instance, I don't get to choose our billing software. <laughs> you know? sure. So it's a trade off. I don't get the 100 percent um final say in everything because you're that's just the way it is working with other people and so i'm getting most of the benefit of working with other people in that i have people who have um you know over 50 years of experience practicing law i could call uh with uh questions or just to bounce things off of i have a law firm name um the two guys who started this firm 
um, even though it's like a firm in a very loose sense uh, of how you would normally consider that word. Um, they are extremely well known in the Colorado community for so it carries a lot of that name recognition um, gives you a lot of credibility for larger clients. Um, so for me, it's been a really good fit, but it's not what I initially pictured starting out because I I was just so um, kind of sick of the way firms operated. But I mean, then I found people who felt the exact same way were not on the hook for each other. I mean, we all pay our own phone bills individually, you know, so if somebody doesn't pay their own phone bill, nobody else is on the hook for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, we're all super autonomous and um, like-minded, keep uh, our overhead just extremely low um, and have a lot of the benefit of a traditional firm without the downside. So yeah, didn't see it coming, but it's been the right move. I'm glad I was open to it when it was an option. So, so I'll ask you this question, this follow-up question with in mind, the sensitivity of, you know, your current working space, but um, what having gone through the beta legal thing, like, did that shape how you approach this next season? differently? Yes. Like, was there a lesson learned there that, that now you've, you've got in your pouch of experiences that will, you'll take with moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really glad I didn't go straight from a uh, big firm to, uh, where I am now. Um, having to do everything yourself, uh, allows you to understand how everything works. So, um, for instance, we all split, uh, all of us lawyers split, a, the cost of a bookkeeper, but like I was my own bookkeeper. So I know how it works. I learned my own, uh, invoicing process. I had to send my own invoices, you know, just really having to do all of that myself more than anything else even made me realize how valuable it is to join with other people to kind of share that burden because it's a lot. I mean, if you're billing time, you're recording time, you're sending invoices, you're balancing your bank account, you've got trust accounting um, for your trust account, you've got ethical rules, you've got to renew your malpractice insurance, and there's 27 different options. So what are you supposed to select? And being able to combine um, some of those tasks with other people and share that burden, I don't think I would have appreciated it as much, and I wouldn't have had as much to contribute. Um, if I hadn't done it all on my own Mm -hmm. for a while and now I know I can, right. So, you know, anytime it's necessary, I can, I can do all of those things myself if I absolutely had to. Yeah. The freedom of knowing that you can is probably great too. In the event that like you can provide oversight and who you're choosing to be your vendor. And then the notion that you're chained to a particular group of people because you don't want to deal with the headache of all of those things is also alleviated too, which I would imagine is, is a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Every day is, you know, just a choice to, um, to stay in there because we, we like working together. Nobody's, you know, nobody's personally guaranteed a commercial lease or something like what keeps a lot of law firms together. This is just a group of people who, uh, like working together and still like working together <laughs> like mm-hmm. that day. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, that, that was a big, uh, adjustment for, for me, for sure. Is there, I mean, and you mentioned click tap sold. Are there any other big pivots that you had? I think that was a big one I, you know, and one other lesson I learned from that that I didn't really talk about before was 
that I had a lot of people close to me tell me what a great idea that was hmm. and uh, enough for me to move forward as far as I did, you know, and with kind of building out the business model. Um, and I took from that a little bit of, I won't say cynicism, but the notion that people who know you well are going to tell you that something's a good idea because they know you and they want to not poo-poo on your parade <laughs> it is, is a real threat to whatever it is that you're conspiring, yeah. you know? And, and so I think I wish I'd pushed my research phase harder and found some people who told me it was a bad idea. Huh? I think I got to where, I don't know. I even like, I reached out to realtors that I knew from high school or college that lived in different parts of the country and like assembled this like ambassador program more or less and like wanted all of their feedback and wanted them to beta test the, you know, the whole thing for free even and all this kind of stuff. And like most of them also is a great idea. And then like hardly any of them actually even took me up on using the product for free. Interesting. And, and I, I never pushed hard enough to get to someone to say, yeah, that's, I don't think that's going to work. And that's because, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, I think even if I'd gotten that person and they had poo pooed on it and I'd still decide to go with it, that would have been fine. But I w would have at least known that I pushed it hard enough to, to cross some sort of threshold into a world where people are being more critical and honest with me. What, you know? what would it have taken to, I mean, do you think it was just a, you should have asked strangers or you should have pushed your closer friends or. Yeah. I, you know, part of it is I, I felt like what I was doing was a little bit as, as much marketing as it was market research. Oh. You know, I was trying to build this group of people that would help me, you know, in different areas do it so that realtors are notoriously bad about copying each other. Like if one person does something that works, everyone like all of a sudden really? starts doing it. <laughs> so they're this huge, uh, homogenous group of people yeah. that all provide the same service and do the exact same advertising. <laughs> Sorry, realtors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for the most part in any given market, yeah. and if you're a realtor, you know that you're like, different. <laughs> Well, that other people in your industry are very prone to copy each other. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's a secret. Um, and so I, I think one, you know, taking away the spin of like trying to, you know, build this ambassador program more so of actually finding people that would, would push back a little bit. And, and I think what I would have done or probably may or may not have done in retrospect, but what I should have done in retrospect is once I found that, shape the questions I'm asking a little differently. Yeah. You know, I, I think I was asking the, Hey, what do you think about this concept? And people are like, yeah, sounds good. And I think my first question probably should have been like, Hey, do you, do you pay money for, to advertise your listings? Oh yeah. And like, you know, if I'd gotten a bunch of them that said no, and then all of a sudden they're all saying, yeah, that, that sounds like a great product. Then like, it would have been more obvious to me. It's like, okay, well, if you're not spending money on that now, why, what it, what about this is going to be different, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those lessons that like, um, people, I mean, what's the Henry Ford quote? Like you can, um, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse oh, you know, yeah. when, he, when he invented the model T. <laughs> That's true. You got to balance it. Yeah. You kind of have to recognize that there is some sort of bias coming from folks you talk to and, you know, push harder on that. Like, do your research. And that's scary though, because you don't want to get to a place where everyone's telling you 
that what you've invested in and what is so intimately tied to your hopes and dreams, it, like people are all telling you it's a bad idea because you're already just trying to get the cur- courage up to take that step. Yeah. And if, if people are introducing doubt into that, sometimes it's uh, unwelcome. Yeah. You know? And sometimes it's, you know, the, I don't know. I think you had to play that one out probably. <laughs> yeah. But if- I certainly was thankful that like, I mean, you know, the, the dollar amount that went with this thing I tried right. was, was, uh, very palatable. You know? Yeah. I think one other lesson that came from that season, you know, that season that's kind of interesting is the notion of why people hire you. I, I think a lot of, honestly, I think a lot of businesses, but in particular, a lot of freelancers really struggle to understand the root of why their customer hires them. Okay. And that shapes their mark, their marketing a little bit. Um, and I'll, I'll use this example. I was very prone in the very beginning to use a, a brand name for my quote unquote agency. That's just me. Right. And as I really flushed that out, at least in my industry, I realized that there was a whole group of people that really just wanted a guy, yeah. like a freelancer. They didn't want an agency They with the agency bureaucracy and the being passed around to different people and not, you know, having a clear and constant communication, you know, a lot of aspects like that. And so actually one of the clients I have now was specifically asking, uh, I think I mentioned in the last episode, I got them from like, uh, on social media that someone made an introduction because they were on social saying, Hey, I'm specifically looking for a freelancer. Like don't send me an agency. Like I just, I, I want someone that is just a person. Yeah. You know? And so I think aspects, aspects of that are interesting because I ended up going, uh, when I tried being a freelancer on my own several years ago and when it was unsuccessful, uh, like eight years ago, um, I, I built this like fake agency, yeah. you know, cause at the time I felt like I was adding credibility to myself and I think things have changed at least in, in my industry now so that I was, I intentionally have tried to build a brand around my name, yeah. even though it makes me feel like a complete D bag and it's <laughs> way out of my comfort zone. But like, that's what people are looking for. Like people that want, you know, um, to hire me are looking for a particular thing and, and I would be foolish not to be that thing. Well, yeah. And so, yeah, um, I think that's also, cause I, I had the same feeling and I think it's also a a hangover from, um, traditional employment mm -hmm. because you're used to having this like shield of your company name to just, you know, all your marketing is really for the company. So you don't have to brag on yourself. And then when it comes to the point when it's just you, it's really hard. And so there's this tendency to want to, you know, say, it's not me, it's this fake firm. It's, it's this fake agency uh, that I'm promoting. I just work there. Uh, so I can tell you without it being weird, how great that agency is. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's, and it's a little easier to hide behind it yeah, too, totally. right? Like if there's failure too, it's a little bit easier because it's not so directly tied to you know, like who you, you are, as a person. person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you have to, I mean, ultimately, if you're going to do this, you, if you're going to be a freelancer, if you're going to be solo, um, you're selling you, um, above any of the other affiliations. And frankly, that's the real way that your whole career has been. You just haven't realized it likely, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of how, how you're ingrained. Yeah. 
I have one other lesson that I've I've learned so far, but um, tell me tell me something else you have. Oh, I um, I was thinking of when I initially started out. I was gung ho on um, bridging the gap of getting a full plate of billable work by uh, taking contract work with other lawyers uh, and a big company that does like outside general counsel placement and. Um, both of those would pay at a rate of about one-fifth what an actual hour, like of my billable rate, is. Um, so I tried both of them, and I got a lot of work that way, but um, it just never – it actually didn't help anything. It never made sense because I could <laughs> – you know, if I had one hour of ra- uh, full-rate work um, – it was always going to get precedence over the the contract work I was doing for this excessively low rate. Um, so even though I had hoped that that would help me bridge the gap, in reality, it was just preventing me from getting full rate work by keeping me busy um, doing something mm-hmm. where I wasn't client facing. I wasn't building a relationship. I, it wasn't very sophisticated work. So it wasn't like you know, I wasn't honing any skills. I wasn't getting any great forms or anything. I was just essentially keeping myself busy so that I felt better. So I had to, I had to pull the cord on that. Um, and it was scary because, you know, you think, well, I only have at the beginning, you know, um, a little bit of work that I can do at my full rate, but I can have as much of this excessively low rate work as I want. So, (laughs) you know, like letting go of that and disengaging from it um, was liberating, but it was also like a second little leap of faith after uh, quitting the the big job at the big firm. Yeah. And that's such a great microcosm of kind of those phases we've talked about of, of transitioning from a full plate of work that isn't ideal to, uh, perhaps less work that's more ideal. Yeah. That ties into my other thing pretty closely. Uh, m- some additional wisdom that I received as I was kind of going through the research phase of, of going solo included several people telling me to have multiple revenue streams. Yeah. Um, that that was a, a big lesson that, that they encouraged you to have. And that one kind of made sense to me, I thought, conceptually. Um, but I think as I've gotten my hands dirty with doing this on my own, it's it's become even more obvious of the importance that having some and in my even even just the digital marketing part of my business, you know, there's some small percentage that's that's consulting. Yeah. Um there's this uh, a percentage that is white labeling my services for agencies, which is a little bit in line with what you're discussing. And then there's a part where I'm working directly with clients and each have pros and cons for sure. Um, you know, initially I was kind of thinking, Oh, I'll do the whole white label thing. And then I don't have to do sales. Cause I, <laughs> we've talked about in the past. I don't want, I didn't want to do that. That'd be great. But you know, you, the client you're working with, you have very little say in the, quality of what information they've been given before you come into the picture is suspect um, (laughs) is yeah is sometimes a challenge and um and and it's not quite as profitable you know and i mean it's nice when one of my agency clients reaches out and says hey here's this project you know here you go yeah and 
and it's as easy as that, but then there's, there's also something to be said for when I'm working directly with a client it's something that my name is stamped on, you know, visibly. And it's something that I'm going to do work that I'm proud of that I can take credit for publicly. <laughs> um, and, and all of that's nice, but I think just, you know, having some diversity in that regard to the digital marketing work that I'm doing. And then also having, I, I try to dedicate some percentage of my time to exploring other, other avenues, you know, oh, and that's yeah. like anything from like, uh, you know, creating podcasts yeah. to something that's, uh, some of the content marketing that I'm doing kind of these other channels of figuring out, um, I've, I've actually been, I have a weekly newsletter that I've done for uh, probably, I think all of 2018 so far, both to folks that follow me for marketing reasons and then folks that follow me from, uh, for freelancer reasons. And that's something that is, I've been building up and an, ex an example of something that I've often wondered is there an opportunity for this to become a revenue stream at some point? I mean, it's, yeah. it's certainly not there now, but you know, anything that's going to check that box is probably going to take some time to, to build up. And especially if it's something that isn't a, a one-to-one -one kind of service, like my digital marketing is, you know, yeah. something that's more of a passive kind of thing. And uh, so I'm kind of always tinkering with those sorts of things in the background that I feel like may be beneficial. Um, down the road as I've gotten momentum. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think that's just keeping your entrepreneurial, innovative mind um, going uh, because that's what's going to keep you just above the waves, mm -hmm. <laughs> head above the waves is just continuously thinking, how can I improve and how can I, um, you know, weather any potential storm? That makes a lot of sense yeah. to me. I mean, I probably mentioned before the Airbnb thing made me feel better starting out to have Airbnb a totally random uh, income stream. Um, and then I've had unsuccessful attempts thus far, uh, like separate consulting gigs. But yeah, I think keeping an eye out for different ways that you can monetize your time in a different capacity is brilliant and essential. Mm -hmm. and, and if it's a complimentary service too, it to some degree forces you to eat your own dog food a little bit, Yeah, you know, like me marketing myself <laughs> in different ways challenges the advice I give to clients, you know, yeah. and it's, it's not just someone that's out there just spouting off stuff they read, um, yeah. you know, on, on search engine land.com or something, you know, it's, it's really stuff that they're, they've had to, uh, get dirty with or had to use yeah. to grow their own personal business. And that, that, impacts that heavily. That's true. I like it when I can talk to my clients like as a business owner, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like I remember when I was doing this and I found that this is true, you know, for pretty much all LLCs or what have you. I feel like that brings me a lot of credibility, but also humanizes me and makes them understand that, you know, I'm not just a service provider. We're in the same boat because we all are. Yeah. And so when you have a client that's in the startup phase, like you mentioned before, that's yeah. wanting all the forms, yeah. you know, all the documents, you can say, Hey, let me tell you about yeah. legal beta. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a good way to, to, um, get to know somebody, get them to know you and also, uh, quite persuasive. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, um, yeah. 
Well, that was a, a lot of the stuff that you just said, I think is really interesting. I'm going to apply to my own, my own practice. We should all go make mistakes so we can learn more lessons and be smarter. Just make tiny mistakes. That's a, that's the uh-huh. takeaway, right? It's like little mistakes <laughs> or like, you know, only one step ahead of <laughs> where you need to be and, and not being afraid to, even if you've just thrown a lot into something and uh, not being afraid to cut bait. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest like kind of life lessons I've learned as I've gotten older is that your failure isn't failure if you learn from it, you know? Yeah. And so if, if you can fail with avoiding, you know, a fatality, yeah. <laughs> like um, a, a proverbial fatality, not a literal one. Of course, that would also be good to avoid. I mean, in most cases, um, <laughs> murder is a failure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm but, a lawyer, so that's got to be true. <laughs> but if you can take those things and kind of roll with punches, yeah. you know, then you you're wiser from it, and you've got experience and um, you know, wisdom that you wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah, and probably if you're not failing a little bit, you're not pivoting enough and um, being innovative enough. So it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree completely. Thanks, Rob. Cool. Yeah. Good talking to you. And and so um, you've got some travel coming up. I do. Um, and in, in the next weeks. And so we're actually recording this episode a little bit in advance, but um, we're hoping to maybe do a podcast while you're on the road Yay. too. So we'll keep our fingers crossed and see how that goes. And, and uh, the audio quality might not be what we hope for. We'll see, but uh, it'll be fun nonetheless, because you'll be living out some of the freedom that we talk about on the show a lot. Exactly. Well, living it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, have a good rest of the week, uh, Rob. Uh, Remind our uh, listeners to give us reviews. Yes. So if you want to see show notes for this episode, you can hit us up on unfederated.studio. You'll see all the notes from all of our episodes and uh, gives you a place to contact us too if you want to be in touch with Sarah or I with questions or feedback. Yes. And then additionally, if you want to rate the show, that's the number one thing you can do that would be super beneficial to us. So if you've gotten anything out of this episode or any of the past um please do us a favor and re- uh, review us rate us please. on uh, the podcast app or in itunes thank you <laughs> yes all right sarah safe travels right. and we'll talk next week thanks brother talk to you soon